Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast, The Spider-Man Years. My name is Willie Simpson. I'm Sonia Rappaport. Today, Sonia, we are delving into the better episodes of Season (laughs) 1. The Alien Costume Part 1, the 8th episode of the Spider-Man Animated Series. Uh, We just finished watching this episode. Uh, Wow, what a... Incredible 21 minutes of action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's actually a lot going on in this one. And um, we read some trivia about this episode also. That the So, like, the pilot of this series aired as the pilot. And then this is the first one since the pilot that's actually aired in the correct order that it was supposed to be aired. Right. So that kind of answers some questions we had about the continuity going on. <laughs> of his on various romances and things. With his love life, yeah. I mean, other than that, it didn't really make a difference, I don't think. No, I don't was, think like, it made any difference. One-off establishing episodes to introduce us to various villains. Yeah. But here we get into something a little more meaty. Right. And so the trivia we were reading from was from Amazon Prime. I purchased every season of the show on Amazon to uh, Amazon to watch, which I'm not necessarily recommending... Um, <laughs> all the followers of the show to do. It ended up costing like 70 bucks or something. Uh-huh. But uh, they do have those nice IMDb trivias. And I did learn a bunch of stuff um, about this episode in particular. One thing, like right off the bat, that they uh, draw your eye to is that the story for this episode was laid out by Stan Lee and Avi Arad, who um, we all know who Stan Lee is, but Avi Arad is the famous, like, creative marketing guy they brought in in the mid-90s to Marvel who I think he worked for Toy Biz and uh, you know his main focus was on toy sales and things of that nature but he's also largely responsible for getting Marvel movies on film in the first real way he was the executive producer on all those early X-Men and Spider-Man movies and like anything that had a Marvel branding uh, Avi Arad was involved with um I think it's Avi. Avi, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, but he's kind. Of, he was kind of forced out of Marvel when the Disney acquisition happened. However, he was the executive producer for whatever reason on the latest Venom movie. Right. Which is interesting that he had a hand in writing this episode with Stan. Mm-hmm. Which is also interesting because Stan Lee had nothing to do with the alien costume and Venom in general when it was introduced in the Spider-Man comics. Um, I'm not exactly sure who entirely is responsible for that. I think, like, it might have been Roger Stern. Um, I have one of his, like, big omnibuses of Spider-Man comics, and he, like, wrote this incredible run in the late 70s and early 80s, like, really awesome Spider-Man stuff. So he might have introduced the costume in, like, the mainstream comics, but really the costume in the comics comes from, like, some Marvel Secret Wars event that happened in outer space, Mm -hmm. and he brings the costume back with him. Um, And then there's, like, a lot of details that this, about the alien costume... Uh, that this show establishes that are not from the comic continuity that were kind of a surprise to me because, you know, like, I kind of... I read all the Spider-Man comics from, like, the first one, the the 60s, the early 60s to, like, the the mid-80s. That's, like, the the history I know. Mm -hmm. But... And Venom came later, I think, in the late 80s or early 90s or something. But the point is um, that, like... Uh, for instance, uh, the, in the comics, the costume didn't necessarily make Peter a, like a bad or aggressive guy. In the show that's established here, it does. Mm-hmm. Like, it affects his personality. Yeah. And that's like uh, they've taken that story element and put that in, that in the Spider-Man movies. That was like a big plot development of Spider-Man 3, the, the much, uh, you know, not liked right. Spider-Man 3. And Venom. 
Right, yeah, that's a big aspect of Venom too. That <laughs> yeah. like the the suit alters the personality. Although you know, I'm sure in the comics when Venom was introduced, there was an element to that. But I, I don't know, like how like deranged Eddie Brock was supposed to be in the comics when he got the Venom powers. I'm, I'm not really quite sure. I haven't read many Venom con- comics. Mm. But in general, though, you're right. Like it's an element that essentially was established in this cartoon. Yeah, which is pretty interesting. And uh, it's just one like we said. It's really one of the like greatest episodes to this date of the show and it's a two-parter um dare i say in my memories of the show this is going to be one of the best two-parters in the show's history it's that good it's one of the most memorable for sure and so while stanley and avi arad wrote well they they came up with the story they're given story credit uh the writers of the show include um John Semper, who's like the main series executive producer, but also Len Wein was credited as one of the teleplay writers. Mm-hmm. And Len Wein, famously, he wrote some uh, X Men Tass episodes, but really more famously, he was a Marvel Comics writer in the seventies, and he came up with Wolverine. Right. So uh, pretty interesting. You know, I, I wouldn't say he was slumming uh, writing some cartoons in the mid nineties, some Marvel cartoons, but it's always appreciative to see the recently departed Len Wein show up in these shows. Um, and this is like 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 we both said like a a great episode top to bottom animation, writing, humor, mm-hmm. intrigue, it's got it all. Uh, just like lots of fun. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, let's, let's get re- into it. Yeah. All right. So the episode opens in outer space. We're introduced to a character, John Jameson, the heroic, uh, good-natured son of J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, he's a colonel in NASA. He's a. I guess he's a space shuttle pilot mm-hmm. they're just doing your standard uh you moonwalk. know yeah moonwalk exploration in the mid 90s an alternate universe where nasa's moon missions never ended right uh and you know you're just doing what you do on the moon you have a pickaxe and you're <laughs> chipping away at some rocks um i don't know you know obviously when the original moon missions happened they forged for rocks but did they have yeah. space tools and things where they like shoveling and chipping away at I don't know. They collected samples and brought them back to Earth. Right. For they sure. definitely. They, I think. Did they? I remember them having. They, they had like space vehicles uh-huh. in real life. Yeah, yeah. Like a rover or something. Right. I wonder, like, if they just had scoopers scooped up the rocks, or if they actually had shovels or something. I'm not sure, but either way, I find it like it's odd to see that they ha- would have a pickaxe. I don't think the original astronauts would have had a tool like that so much. I don't know. But I don't know either. It's just it's just a funny image to me to see an astronaut with a pickaxe on the moon chipping away like he's a, you know, like a oh, coal miner. You know what I mean? Well, but he was looking for like rare minerals. So chances are, if you're looking for rare minerals on Earth, you usually need something sharp to right. dislodge them. So that's what he does. Right. Well, he struck gold in this instance, uh, black gold, Texas tea, mm. as they refer to in the Beverly Hillbillies TV show. <laughs> he hits some black rock. Uh, it's spewing with gooey black liquid. Um, it's immediately designated as Prometheum X, which is a pretty cool name. Mm-hmm. He collects the sample. Uh, and the, But right away, the moon is like under severe... Geological, like yeah. There's like a moon earthquake. He rushes back to his shuttle in in ways that I feel like would be ripped off uh, in the movie Armageddon that would come out a few years later. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Just like a dramatic, like let everyone load in the spaceship and take off as soon as possible. Seems very unrealistic because he's in one of those like 1966 esque lunar landers, uh-huh. the the little ship you need to blast off to the shuttle that's orbiting the moon. But he gets away in the nick of time, and um. 
you know, makes it to the shuttle, and then they have to immediately head back to Earth. Uh, you know, this is all being live teleconferenced back on Earth, this, all this action. Mm-hmm. And I guess at first, like, people aren't aware of the danger they're in. Um, as well, they're at heading... first, they're not aware of the okay, danger Okay, so they in, don't... Because really. re- I thought, like, there seems to be some element where the, the goo is free on the ship and slurring, like, slurbering around. Yeah, but they don't realize they it. They don't realize it, yeah, okay. So they get close to Earth. Uh, Jay, uh, Jonah Jameson's watching on TV with Robbie Robertson and Peter Parker, a whole bunch of alliteratively named characters. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's, inter- it's an interesting character moment because JJ's, like, like everyone's, like, congratulating him on his son being such an impressive guy mm-hmm. and hero. And Jay Jonah Jameson's sort of unusually reserved and humble about it. He's like, what are you thanking me for? He's like, yeah. I had nothing to do with it. Right. But he is secretly grinning that his son is great. And Peter Parker has a funny aside. He just thinks to himself, he's like, the apple certainly fell far from the tree or something like that. Yeah, but I wonder if that's just Peter being a bit biased in the situation. Yeah, of course. I, we've established that Jay Jonah Jameson's motives in the show aren't quite as evil as Peter wants to believe. Right. He really... He just has it in for Spider-Man. Yeah, specifically. But other than that, it's like, I wonder... It's not like J. Jonah Jameson's quite the, like, hackneyed, like, asshole journalist Mm -hmm. that, you know... He's also, like, a little bit intense and short-tempered, but right. I don't think any of that makes him a bad person, Yeah, we haven't really seen his reporting outside of Spider-Man, so we don't know how biased he is and how unfair he might be. Yeah. I mean, I guess I guess if we're to... I guess if we're to draw anything from his coverage of Spider-Man, that he probably is quite biased in a lot of things. He's got really strong opinions and editorializes from his viewpoints. But um, but you're right. Like in reality, like the show does tries to be as fair as possible with, with JJ. Mm. Um, so this is one of those moments. He's got a son. He really cares about his son's a legitimately good guy. Um, so they're watching the live conference. Uh, the you know the NASA telefeed. I guess they have from the cockpit. The the space shuttle is going to do a uh, a landing in the JFK airport, which they say has never been done before. Now, has that happened in real life? I, I feel so. like I have some memory of the space shuttle like landing in JFK or LaGuardia or something to that really? nature. You know, there's many space shuttle missions in the 80s and 90s when we were kids. Mm-hmm. And I just have these... I mean, I know there was a memory. They flew the space shuttle over the Manhattan skyline um, in recent years, like maybe five or six years ago. Yeah, they that did, I remember. They did something like that. I don't know if the, the shuttle itself was actually landing in the airport. Um, but, you know, kind of a risky move for NASA <laughs> to... Um, to do such a thing. Uh, meanwhile, uh, the, the news media knows that Prometheum X was recovered from the moon, and it's like this amazing scientific discovery. The news reporter himself is saying that it might be more powerful than plutonium, which could be a major benefit or you know detriment to mankind. Uh, and then, like, there's so many layers going on in this episode. For instance, um, Kingpin is following the news as well, the Smythe, and he's like we got to stop everything. we got to get that Prometheum X right now. Right. And it's really refreshing to see Kingpin and Smythe back, two of the best characters and villains mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah. Uh, so he's scheming right away. Um, he calls up... Uh, well, not quite yet. So, But as that's happening, um, the Black Goose starts taking over the space shuttle, right? Right. So, and... Uh, it's overcoming the astronauts. They're freaking out. The The shuttle transmission goes in and out. And um, 
Jameson, the astronaut, is trying... They're heading towards the metropolitan area, which seems kind of unbelievable because they show the space shuttle from, like, a wide shot above planet Earth. Mm-hmm. And it's just, wi- like, wildly like careening. down. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> spinning upside down. It's, like, no way it could, like... I can't believe it would even be that close to its, like, landing destination of New York City. So they're going to miss the airport, but they're still in the general area. Mm-hmm. Then the news reporter's like, oh, my God, it's going to crash, like, near or on the George Washington Bridge. Right. Um... Kingpin freaks out in midst of all this. He wants to evacuate the Chrysler building where he secretly lives in its tower. And he's like, what are you doing, Smythe? We must go. That shuttle could be all over us in any second. And Smythe's like, I know my trajectories. It's going to land on the George Washington Bridge. Mm -hmm. You needn't worry. And uh, so uh, still Kingpin sweating it out, which is a nice like little human element. Uh, But in the midst of that... um, Jameson rushes off to his helicopter. He wants to be on the scene to rescue his son or at least be there because he's freaking out. Mm. Uh, Peter takes the opportunity to get to the bridge. I can get there much faster as Spider-Man. Mm. And then you see like a really cool wide shot of Spider-Man in the distance from the uh, from the Daily Bugle building. And then this is like I just love these long wide shots where you see the spider web in, in like the long distance. And Spider-Man comes swinging towards the camera from like 500 feet away. Just really top-notch animation in this episode for a show that has a lot of janky animation in general. Yeah. Um, in case you wanted well to know, yes, in, in real life, um, it's not that JFK has ever been used as a landing site, but there are several airports designated as, uh, like, airports where an abort, like, if they need to abort their normal plans when a space shuttle is landing, that there's, like... Um, More like Teterboro... Is that actually what JFK used to be called? Uh, I might be missing. I don't know. The one that's like in the New York City area is actually in West Hampton on Long Island. Oh, wow. But there's like a bunch of them up and down the East Coast. So they have a bunch of like like, emergency strip landings for space shuttles. Exactly. Oh, cool. But I guess so from what you saw that it's not like they ever actually landed or took off from one of those. In my two minute internet search just now? No. Okay. Well, yeah. So (laughs) someone let us know. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. so, it, like, we get some more great dramatic scenes of the space shuttle, like, traveling through the skyscrapers of Manhattan. Um, it goes past the Chrysler building, which uh, relieves Kingpin and Smythe, sort of like, I told you, Kingpin, you had nothing to worry about. Mm. Uh, it's very reminiscent of when Jean Grey is trying to land the space shuttle, too, in the yeah. X-Men series, and she becomes the Phoenix. I think in that ep- episode, the space shuttle goes between the Twin Towers. Mm. Um and the in the Marvel series, a lot of space shuttles landing in and around Manhattan, pretty fun. Uh, but uh, in this case, the shuttle is heading towards the George Washington Bridge. The news reports says everyone has to abandon their cars. Uh, I guess coincidentally, Eddie Brock is on the the bridge. The return of Eddie Brock, voiced by Hank Azaria, is back. Mm-hmm. But I, I, he probably headed towards the bridge because he knew it was happening there because he has his camera. Mm. He needs to get back in the good graces of Jameson. He wants his job back. Right. So he's going to get some incredible pictures himself. He doesn't abandon the bridge. The space shuttle lands on the bridge uh, quite dramatically, uh, crushing a whole bunch of abandoned cars, and the wing snaps a bunch of the bridge cables, which looks terrifying. If you ever, like, I walk on the Brooklyn Bridge almost every day to and from work, and the the cables, I'm sure most people know, on a suspension bridge like that, they're just, like, enormously taut, like, super strong wires that just feel like steel or whatever they're made of. So to imagine them set free and loose flipping around everywhere and snapping. This would be really terrifying. People would be decapitated or their limbs severed or insane scars. They'd be instant death. Mm. Uh, Anyway, 
The space shuttle lands dramatically. Um, Kingpin, meanwhile, is making plans with Smythe. He calls up uh, a new character we haven't seen before, Rhino, uh, who's in a, a shabby apartment somewhere. <laughs> somewhere in Queens. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, no, New Jersey. Right, sorry. yeah. That, don't step on the joke yet. He's like, I need you to get to the bridge to recover something for me. You know, so Rhino's like, all right, I'm on it. And uh, and unlike, we've just been introduced to a bunch of Spider-Man villains in the past few episodes where they all got their origin and their right, story. Right, I kind of forgot that we hadn't been introduced to Rhino yet in right. this one. And it's better that a character like Rhino is introduced as like a side mysterious character. Yeah, I mean, not so mysterious. Well, you know what I mean? Like, but... he's not, like, we don't need his, like, the story of Rhino. Right. You know, I looked it up. I, I didn't remember from the comics. Like, initially was introduced, I think, as like a communist character in the 60s. Mm. You know, like some kind of Russian experiment where they bonded his skin to some kind of insane polymer and it gave him the speed and strength of a rhino. And I don't think he's... You know, I got confused. Wait, is he, like, literally wearing rhino skin? Is that what's happening? No, it's... I mean, it looks like it, but, yeah. you know, he's... He's not. He's wearing some kind of weird polymer. It's one of those things like with Sabretooth where when you look at his costume in the cartoon, you're like, is he wearing <laughs> spandex or is that just his skin and he's naked or right. like Well, we what? learned that Sabretooth is a costume for sure. <laughs> right. Although yeah. his hands was a little confusing where his like claws <laughs> yeah. begin and his gloves begin or something. Exactly. But it was to me, I was more confused between Rhino and Scorpion. Because I was confused if Scorpions gets bonded with the costume and he can't take it off. It's one of the two. It's either Scorpion or Rhino where they can't take the outfit off. Or maybe Scorpion they both we can. had an episode about, though. I know. That's what I'm saying. I thought that they revealed that part of his tragedy was that he can't take off his outfit. Yeah, right. But I don't think that's the case so much. Or at least it's not established yet. Huh. Or it might be Rhino. Either way, it looks like Rhino's just hanging... it could be both of them. Right, yeah. But it looks like <laughs> Rhino's just hanging out in this really uncomfortable costume in a small apartment somewhere. <laughs> Let's say Fort Lee, New Jersey. Because Smythe is doing his calculations about where the shuttle's gonna land, and he points to uh, Fort Lee and For- Forest Green. Uh-huh. And his geography is totally messed up because... Forest Hills. Oh, yeah, Forest Hills. Like, because Queens looks like it's where New Jersey should be and Fort Lee is where Queen should be. Uh, anyway. It's just, it's just funny to notice. My grandmother lived in Fort Lee, so that's why uh, <laughs> I, I'm just mentioning it. Yes, close to my heart. I'd have to go to Fort Lee all the time to visit her. Um, so Rhino's off to the bridge. Spider-Man's off to the bridge. Eddie Brock's off to the bridge. And J. Jonah Jameson's off to the bridge. The astronauts, meanwhile, are passed out inside the shuttle. Spider-Man goes down there to rescue them, although he discovers that he's not the first one there. Rhino's there first. Um, he, you know, Rhino's there to steal the Prometheum X. Spider-Man saves the astronauts, but he sees Rhino getting away with the suitcase. Um, Eddie Brock is taking pictures of all of this. Uh, and then Spider-Man hears something inside the shuttle. Right. So he goes in there to try to check it out. And, um... I guess the impact of him jumping around in there makes the shuttle fall down into the water. Right. Just as the helicopters show up to save the astronauts and, like, J.J. comes out and is, like, making sure his son is okay. And meanwhile, Spider-Man escapes from the shuttle with some, like, dirty black goo on his outfit yeah. as he's, like, swimming through the river. He thinks he's a he hero. He gets out and he's like, yes, I saved everyone. Yeah. Like, J.J. is gonna, like, eat his words because he's gonna be so happy I saved his son. He's like, he's oh, really, and I got, like, river schmutz on me. Too bad. And he really just, like, counting, Really counting his chickens before they roost. Yeah. Uh, the t- a couple of great acting moments in these scenes uh, when Jameson is landing the astro- uh, the, um, the, sh- the space shuttle on the George Washington Bridge. He's, like, flying through the skyscrapers. I just love the dramatic reading from the actor where he's like gotta make it to the river yeah. you know it's like really tense and like 
you just like right there with him in that panic moment. It's like Sully. Right, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like Sully. Uh and he really does what an incredible landing by yeah. Jameson by the way. Like no Good thing real casualties. Their cars. I know, <laughs> like saves the space shuttle, the the shuttle doesn't blow up or catch on fire. What are the odds like nowadays that enough that people would happen. be listening oh. to the radio to that station of the radio that they would hear the announcement and actually evacuate their well, cars? Well, the thing is they do have you know, you, you've listened to the radio and watched TV. They have national, like, broadcasts that'll break in to any, like, with an emergency warning. I know. I just feel like people don't... If like, they don't have the radio on, radio it's a problem. But if, if, but if you're on the bridge and you don't have your radio on, you see, like, half the people getting out of their cars and running away wildly. You I might, guess you do it, too, yeah. Right. You might take it as a hint. So yeah. I, I could, like, almost believe that it could happen. Uh, and another great line when Spider-Man sees Rhino for the first time. He's like, oh, where'd you come from? And Rhino, like, turns to the camera. He's like, Jizzy. <laughs> and runs away. Sonya and I have been watching a lot of The Sopranos to honor its 20-year anniversary. And right. There's something about Rhino that just reminds me of a Sopranos character. <laughs> big brute from New Jersey that's kind of dim-witted and stupid and... Just that earlier establishing shot of him in his little apartment is funny to me. Kind of like Paulie Walnuts or something. It's like not exactly living a glamorous life as right. a gangster. <laughs> um, all right. So, like you said, uh, you know, Spider-Man thinks he, he's leaving a hero. Um, Rhino succeeds in his mission. One of the few, like... Uh, like uh, competent villains, competent villains, the Kingpin's <laughs> employed that actually got the mission succeeded in this yeah. case. So he brings the Prometheum X to Kingpin right away. Uh, you know, uh, Smythe wants to examine it. He's like, "I must study it. It's amazing." And Kingpin's like, "We have no time. I already have buyers lined up, and they want it sold yesterday." Mm. Really, a lot of great per- lines from Smythe and Kingpin in this episode too. Just mm-hmm. great dialogue, great acting all around. Um, at the hospital, the astronauts are recovering. Uh, Jonah's at his son's bedside, and in classic television, uh, you know, or TV fake like moments uh, where there's like half unconscious people, his son's muttering to himself a bunch of stuff that just happened mm-hmm. without making any sense. And like one of the things he mutters is Spider Man, and uh, so James, that's all Jameson needs to hear. He immediately he's so grimly determined now. Mm-hmm. He wants Spider Man dead. He's offering a one million dollar reward for his capture. Uh, and then you know Spider Man gets home. He's like already sort of crowing to Aunt May about like what a hero Spider Man probably is because she's watching the news. Have you heard about Spider Man? Yeah. Um, some Aunt May notes we observed. Um, one, her outfit. The tie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's totally like one of the golden girls. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are the two things we observe. Like, she's wearing a weird, like, women's Suit. necktie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is kind of bizarre. And she definitely just looks and sounds like of the golden girls generation, which is, it was just kind of humorous because we've recently watched a bunch of golden girls episodes as well. <laughs> Aunt May would fit, fit in well in that universe, or this version of Aunt May anyway. So, um, Aunt, Aunt May is um, King's peter into the fact that spider-man's like the most wanted villain he's you know stole the prometheum x supposedly there's a million dollar reward and i love peter's ranting to himself about this situation he's like um he's like ah oh, it's just another instance of the spider-man justice system guilty until proven innocent mm. and he's just outraged he throws his dirty costume into his hamper he's like well i guess you know i don't have to watch you for a while mm-hmm. and i just love that shot of the costume sort of mournfully looking back at him <laughs> there's something like and definitely this episode establishes it. There's something, like, alive about his costume. It's almost like a... What's the right word? A man... A man... Thorpic? Is that the right word? Um, Anthropomorphic? Yes. 
Can you say it again? <laughs> Anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic element to his costume. <laughs> That's very hard to say. Um, I just like it. It's cute. It's interesting. It reminds me of the uh, the Spider Verse movie too. Yeah. You know, it's like his costume's like weirdly alive because its eyes move unrealistically. Mm. You know, in the movies they established that it's like technology. It's this dark suit that was never a thing in the comics and the cartoons. It just was like his eyes move because his face is moving. Um, much like what they established with Deadpool. It's just magic. It's just right. funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, Aunt May's real happy that Spider-Man's finally, like, someone's going to catch him, you know. And I just like that element, too, just, like, building on Peter's frustrations in life that he can't please anyone, even, like, his aunt that loves him more than anyone in the world. Yeah. You know, and she just... We're getting more of a, a sense that she hates Spider-Man going forward from this episode. Mm. It's a really funny plot element. Um what else is going on so then Peter falls asleep and we see that the alien goop it like slimes off his costume from the hamper and goes and like attacks Peter at night Mm -hmm. and then we go to this incredible like iconic dream sequence yeah Yeah, you want to describe it um it's like this battle between like the venom suit sort of like the venom goo in the shape of venom more or less right and like uh stylized version of the Spider-Man suit and they're like fighting over <laughs> yeah. Peter Parker. Yeah. But it's a really psychedelic sequence because both of those like uh suit characters kind of like morph in and out of like being recognizable. Yeah. And um there's like the moon behind them at one point where they're fighting and they're like in the city with like the buildings it's really It's like an anime. Yeah, it's really cool. And it, and I you're really led to believe at least I did as a kid and to this day narratively that Spider-Man's DNA is really pr- is protecting Peter Parker from this like uh foreign substance invading his body and yeah. his like you know, his immune system. Right. It's like he's got, like, the extra Spider-Man immune system is, like, trying to fight off this infection. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's the way I always read it, narratively. Yeah. Like, it's not just a dream he's having. It's, like, actually his body's, like, super-powered, you know, um, spider powers. Right. Is like, actually trying to fight off this invasion. I mean, that fits together also with the story that they tell in the Venom movie. And there is that sequence in the Venom movie where, like, Venom and the other alien from outer space are fighting. And, like, all of their goop is kind of, like, intertwined. I don't know. I feel like that scene in particular got a lot of um, comment or whatever, like, review. And I personally... I don't know. I didn't love it in the movie. I yeah, thought it was, like, scene. one of the weaker points of the movie. Yeah. But I feel like that's paying homage to this scene that we were discussing right now. I see now. what you're saying, yeah. You like, it, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say, like, what the movies are pulling from. We, we had the strong theory that so much of the X-Men movies were pulled from the X-Men animated series, which, you know, the creators, like, basically admitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, like I said, we read in the Amazon trivia here that... A lot of plot elements about the alien suit were established in this cartoon, not from the comics. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the, the the two movies about Venom thus far are come from this cartoon version more mm. than it comes from uh, the comics version. There was mm. no Secret Wars that Spider Man came back with the symbiote or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it very well may be like maybe an unintentional. Um, it's just like this cartoon was maybe absorbed by the writers and people, and they just uh, think that this is where it all comes from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So I'm, I'm, I'm not certain for sure either, but like, might as well just say it is. Okay. Uh, this show is anyway, very you... influential in general on Spider-Man going forward. Anyway, it was a huge yeah. hit. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, if you don't like have time or feel like going back and watching this whole episode, I would say just skip to this one scene or like <laughs> maybe find it on YouTube or something because it really is like yeah. excellent. I mean, it's they put the scene in the opening credits. Yeah. It's like there's a lot of that, a lot of that animation in the opening credits, but you should watch the whole episode if you're listening to this podcast. And I'm sure <laughs> yeah. you have, you know, but this is like truly like the best episode to date thus far and uh, I think it's going to like stand tall as one of the best episodes of the series overall mm. uh, meanwhile um, Peter like after this intense dream sequence he wakes up in the middle of Manhattan somewhere hanging upside down on a spider web and he's got the new alien costume which looks marvelous yeah it's really cool it's like it's almost insane it's such an incredible design the suit which comes from the comics that it's it's mind-blowing that it hasn't been employed in the movies yet they didn't really use it in spider-man 3 Mm. they just took his regular spider-man suit and made it black in that one and then in venom uh it was similar like the venom in that movie played by uh who's that actor from that 70s show is it toby mcguire no not toby mcguire he's spider-man uh the guy who's the lead in that 70s show that's not not um Oh, Topher Grace. Yeah. Yeah, he was Venom. So he has like he doesn't have like the Venom costume, the traditional one we'll see in the cartoon either. And in the Venom movie, he's just a big black goop man. He has no like big white spider emblem on his chest mm-hmm. that wraps around his back. Right. Um it's a shame. I don't know. It's like they gotta use it eventually at some point. It's yeah. such an iconic costume. There's a lot of Spider-Man content still coming out. They have time. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think we'll see it in, in cinema at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but m- you know, it, it also, like, famously wasn't in the new Spider-Man video game. It, to me, it's, like, the second best Spider-Man suit be- besides the classic costume mm. in general. It's, like, the the best alternative design. And, you know, they uh, intentionally with the video game, the, the story goes is that they're saving that suit for the sequel game where they're going to... It's probably going to be about Venom and Carnage and stuff like that. Makes sense. So, uh, but anyway, my point is it's, like, the suit is such a classic, beautiful design. And I love the little white squares on over his um the top of his hands as well too where his web shooters come out Mm -hmm. uh it just looks like beautiful and like it's got the blue silhouetted outline and everything and the white eyes it it just looks great and um you know looks great in this cartoon too it's like completely faithful to the comics Mm. uh wonderful to behold so he's got the new suit uh meanwhile there's a manhunt out for spider-man he's immediately noticed by some like police like agents in a helicopter they're attacking him he tries to get away there's people there's like a mob of angry people on the street that want jameson's million bucks there's some clever lines of dialogue amongst these characters they're saying it's like uh it's spider-man but he's got a different outfit uh he's probably you know he probably just changed his outfit to get people off his set i want jameson's million bucks that's right <laughs> the helicopter pilots are like circling and they're like oh he's just trying to trick us with a new outfit yeah <laughs> like what <laughs> that to me that's like classic stan lee dialogue though <laughs> he would like you know it's the essence of stan lee's where it's like a blue collar character commenting on a situation uh-huh. where like using like the logic from that character's point of view yeah i don't know what else to put it other than just like that scene in that line where yeah, just like there's a, an outside observer trying to explain things with logic you know right and it just doesn't work yeah well yeah but it's like but it shows that like you know people it shows how in the world people can have um an inaccurate view of things like what you see is not really what's going on and yeah. how that stuff can spread out in the world that's like one of stanley and jack kirby's classic lessons they teach in all their comics mm. which i think kids can relate to all the time people being falsely accused of things mm-hmm. sort of like a great meta lesson in general uh, for society to absorb. Um, anyway, Peter is fighting off these mobs. He discovers he's 
way stronger than usual. He tests his super strength. He can, like, lift a fire truck, like, over his head, which he said, oh, I've always had trouble just lifting up a Volkswagen. Yeah. Um, and then he also discovers that the suit uh, can change into any type of clothing he can think of. So right, he, so he camouflages as a police officer for a minute. And to then get he away. Goes back to being Peter Parker. Right. And then he goes to his college campus and he's like standing on the side of a building, like. It's like nine o'clock in the morning. So risky. Yeah, he's standing in his Peter Parker clothes uh, horizontally off a vertical building. Right. Just contemplating what his new suit powers can do. He turns into Joe Perry from Aerosmith, which he references, and you hear the theme music, which is mm-hmm. a nod to him. Uh, and then he's like, how about something a little more Italian? Uh, and then he gets a, like a nice like, like a designer suit uh, from the mid nineties with like a huge tie and right. like big bulky shoulders. And then he flips down to the f- like stand in front of the building, and coincidentally, just as Felicia and Flash are coming out. Right. Of the building. I-, I do want to say though that hit uh, the suit he puts on. Speaking of the Sopranos, it reminds me of like we just watched uh, the season <laughs> two uh, Sopranos opener where Silvio Dante, uh-huh. the character, is getting like a brand new suit. Oh yeah, it's it's like that a, suit. Totally. Yeah, it's like a gangster suit. Like a, yeah, right. Mid nineties gangster. The suit. double button down front. Yeah, with, like, some weird, like, pinstripes and coloring and, like, weird two-tone shoes and stuff. Uh So, uh, right, so he he jumps down um, right when Flash and Felicia are coming out of college. Felicia's really excited to see him because he looks really handsome in his, like, you know, $1,000 suit or whatever. Or this is a five thousand dollars suit to quote Job from Arrested Development. Remember that those episodes where he keeps talking about how expensive his suit is and keeps raising the price every time he yeah. gets angry. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, so she sees him first. She's intrigued, but then Flash enters, and he does his usual like picking on Peter routine. But Peter, like, actually stands up to him this time, right? And he's like, "Wow, so since when did you get a backbone?" Yeah. And Peter taunts him and threatens him menacingly, and um, Felicia doesn't like it. Yeah. Like, right away, she's immediately turned off. I know. It's funny, because it's not like Peter's even being violent. Right. I He's thought just for... being, like, very, like, overly confident, yeah. even, I, I like, thought the for way sh- he asks her out and stuff. Yeah. And, yeah, right, I thought for sure she'd be into that. But... No, no, I thought for sure that he was going to, like, punch Flash, or something oh. was going to happen where he gets too aggressive. Mm. And that's why, because she says, I'm scared. Like, I don't, I don't like But him. I don't think he really did anything scary so far. He just threatened Flash, and that yeah. was it. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess that is outside of his normal personality. Yeah, it is. So, uh, you know, meanwhile, Kingpin, there's a little snag in selling the premium X. Uh, Samaya is saying we can't demonstrate its power without getting some kind of specialized control rods, which are housed at some government facility. So Kingpin calls up Rhino for another robbery job. Uh, Spider-Man had placed a tracking device underneath rhino's like folded his calf muscle calf muscles his bulging calf muscles yeah he sticks a there's little there's no way that guy didn't feel it like you know, well whatever. i mean it's hard to tell what that guy can feel with his super polymer skin right okay uh but i just love the way that that little spider tracker is wedged in underneath <laughs> his muscles something very funny about it um so you know right before he leaves to take on the rhino he kind of like gets into an argument about aunt may she says like i'm tired of, like, i'm worried about you taking pictures of spider-man it's too dangerous uh-huh. and he's kind of like fed up with aunt may and her spider-man bullshit so he flips out on her a little bit which he never is really out of character for him as well yeah he finds rhino um they get into a really intense fight which as a kid i remember it being quite scary because mm. spider-man kicks the shit out of rhino in a really menacing way he just like throws him into walls and like spins him around his finger and like takes his head and plants it in the ground and spins him around and, and then he like picks up an enormously bulky like metal an iron door, door. right yeah. and it's like you think he's gonna flatten him which you don't think would hurt the rhino at all but the rhino is like cowering he's like, like I give up please don't yeah you know? and, but he also doesn't want to snitch about who 
who he's working for because yeah. he's more afraid of the kingpin than dying, which mm. is kind of interesting. Yeah. But uh, you wonder, it's like, Rhino can't be smushed to death by Iron Great. I wonder if, like, the implication was that Spider-Man was going to, like, decapitate him with the the edge of the door. He's going to kill him somehow. I don't know. Right, I don't know either. But the point is, it's in this moment where Peter realizes, like, something's wrong with him, he's gone too far. Mm. And he reflects on all the things we've seen in this episode where Felicia says she's scared of him, he flips off Aunt May, and he's like, oh, I have changed. And he... he um, Abandons mission. Right, he abandons his mission, he's wondering what's wrong with him, he's swinging around New York City. He looks into a reflection on a Manhattan skyscraper, and what does he see? And he sees Venom's face for the first time. Right, like, yeah. the, the tongue out and yeah, everything. The I remember finding that, like... So frightening when I was a kid seeing this for the first time. Yeah, I think I had a, Ven- a, a Spider-Man comic with Venom in it that scared the hell out of me as a kid. Like uh, Spider-Man and Venom end up on an isolated island alone, and they're fighting each other. And Peter doesn't really have like access to his like full like web shooters, or you know, and Venom is way stronger than Spider-Man. Right. And it was, just, it was a, Venom was a very scary opponent for Spider-Man. I, I was always worried for Spider-Man when he took on Venom <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> So, yeah, Venom's like a great menacing character. We're about to be introduced to him. And that's the end of the Alien Costume Part 1. So, you know, what else is there to say about this episode? It's just, like, really cram-packed and wonderfully paced and layered. Yeah. There's just, like, so many characters, and they're all up to something kind of insidious. Right. And, um... Our hero gets corrupted. Um, we're, like, picking up plot lines of other characters like Eddie Brock and the Kingpin. Mm-hmm. Introduced to new characters like the Rhino, uh, and the alien suit is there. It looks great. It's cool to see Spider-Man in that outfit in mm-hmm. general. Um, it's just like a wonderful, wonderfully great episode, and it's written extremely well. Yeah. The dialogue is just snappy and witty and very adult, and the action's intense. It's like really, it's condensed. I mean, these 21-minute episodes are not, like, they could go into things more if it was longer. But, it, like, in the way it's condensed, it's as re- well-written as it possibly can be. You know, it's like a well-working, like, machine or a watch or something. So it's just a great episode. I'm excited for the conclusion of part two. Yeah, which is too. not even really the conclusion, because this storyline will just, like... that's what, cropping up again. Right, like, yeah. that's one of the great things about this show, is that these storylines, they don't really even ever end. They just kind of, like... They're all, like, braided together. Yes, and they just, like, permeate in some weird way with, like, all the stuff that happens going forward. So it's just, like, a very exciting, great show... Um, and I, you know, I wonder, it's like the greatness of this plot line, the greatness of the Venom character in general. It's like, I wonder if that, you know, people were surprised that Venom like almost made a billion dollars at the box office. Mm. I just wonder if in general it's part due to the fact it's just a great Spider-Man story and people are like kind of up for the story, you know, and the Venom, like obviously Spider-Man wasn't in the movie Mm. or anything and it's like, you know, not really connected to the MCU, but still, it's like there's something about it that like people like the storyline. I mean, I like it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, just like it, it introduces like an outer space element too. There's like sci-fi going on. Very interesting. So, uh, looking forward to the next part. Um, I'm trying to wonder if there's any other uh, Spider-Man news. I don't think so. I think that's all we got for this week. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I want to say before we go um, that you can follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. Uh, you can rate and review our podcast five stars on iTunes or whatever podcast service you use. Most importantly, connect with us uh, at the X-Men Task Podcast Facebook group. Um, we've had some really interesting conversations this week going on. Uh, 
lot most, of great photos, a lot of great videos get posted there. Right, yeah. Most recently, uh, discussion and int- kind of intense discussion about the legacy of the X Men films in light of the Brian Singer mm. revelations about him being a, like a total scumbag, allegedly. Mm-hmm. So, um, a lot of just things to talk about with fans, with us. Um, we'd, we'd love to see you there. We'd love to get new members. That is all I have to say. Sonia, any final words before we continue next week with the Alien Costume Part 2? <laughs> no, that's it for this week. Okay, good night, everybody. Good night.